A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you've fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. This is an ode to Napa Cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa Cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa Cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 77 of Confessions of a Marketer, it's all about SEM and SEO. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Victor Machado of Post and Wall is here to continue the theme we kicked off last episode as we go a bit deeper on SEO versus SEM. We will get to Victor and that chat in a moment. Coming soon, Rob Whedon of Deal Signal and Jeremy Middleton of Pramata are together to chat about data, intent, and marketing. I've got a chat I had with Prism HR CMO Scott Horn about marketing at a high-growth company. And Angel Hollis Vaccaro of Deloitte joins me to deconstruct the Deloitte report beyond marketing experience reimagined. Lots more in store, lots of great names, lots of great people, and great discussions already in the can. So, as always, stay tuned. I want to invite you to have a listen to my other venture, the innovation podcast, The iPod with Garnett Harriman. Lots of fun stuff happening over there. Head over to the innovation podcast.co to tune in. If you've recovered from COVID 19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID 19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID 19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. Okay, Victor Machado. Victor runs Post and Wall, an integrated digital marketing solutions firm he co-founded in 2014. Victor's on the front lines of developments in search. So as a follow-up to my chat with Taylor Ryan last episode about the Google Algo changes, I thought it would make sense to get a bit further into the weeds on SEO and SEM. And Victor was the right one to talk with. We talk about organic SEO, location SEO, confusion about SEO, plus we delve into the data and the possible blending of the big networks. And maybe most importantly, we debate why so few get digital right. A great chat with my old friend. Let's get to it. Victor, great to have you here. Welcome to Confessions of a Marketer. Thanks so much, Mark. It's great to be with you today. So can you tell me the difference between organic SEO and location SEO? Seems like there's a lot of confusion about those specifically and SEO kind of in general. So enlighten me, please. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll 
to simplify it, right? Everyone needs to have a website. And so organic SEO really is about working and tuning your SEO for your website for organic searches, which is a very active type of uh, workload that goes into that function. Location SEO actually is more suited to smaller businesses or regionalized businesses that have really three components, right? A name, an address, and a phone number, right? And they have a service area. That's not to say that you can't have a national brand that has, you know, 100 sites throughout the U.S. Those folks actually leverage both organic SEO as well as local SEO, right? But both types of SEO actually have a high cost. Yeah. So, And how does SEM figure into all of this? Because sometimes people conflate the two and say SEO slash SEM, but they're really different things. Yeah, SEM is completely different. I mean, SEM really is having the ability to specifically target an audience, right? Whether that's by demographic, by geography, specific kinds of interests, and then it's the kind of content that you're also pushing out, right? So if you're doing SEO, right, whether it's location-based or if it's just organic SEO, you're really tuning your presence. If you're doing SEM, you're really pushing out an ability to message something specific so that when someone does a search for your type of business, they're getting something very specific in those search results, right? Yeah. And take it a step further and you've got display and video, right? Yeah. And when you get into display and video, now you're getting into the, you know, really having the opportunity to get onto mobile platforms that fall of outside of traditional, you know, vblog sites and anything that's kind of website related. Now you're talking about being able to push out your presence into apps. And that's where SEM really becomes a very different thing. Yeah. So how do you discuss SEM with your clients? And how do things like video work into those discussions when you're painting a picture of what's possible? Well, so yeah, great question. So the piece around how we discuss it, really, it, it, it all starts with where they are and what their needs really are and what are they really looking to accomplish, mm-hmm. right? And obviously, we're not going to be at the table if it's a pure play SEO type of assignment because, you know, we've actually, when we put our business together and we were looking at what is it that we want to do as a business, we dialed back to, you know, what I we think a combination of SEM and location-based SEO, which our managed platform is a smart search because that manages, you know, 60 plus different business listing sites, mobile apps, centrally, all of those things. So anytime you make a change to whether it's a a promotion, an image, a piece of content, whatever it is, that gets pushed out centrally through the platform and all of those citations basically rank you up along the search engine, right? Mm -hmm. The send piece, really what we talk about there is, is exactly pushing a message pushing something about your brand directly to an audience. Because in general, right, organic SEO is going to be the same thing as a hashtag on Instagram, right? I mean, a a hashtag on any platform does not have a geographic boundary, okay? But when we do targeted ads on that platform or any other digital platform, we don't care about the hashtag, right? 
even if we include something like that inside of that ad set, what we care about is who we're actually targeting and what we're pushing out to them. So when a client says to us, look, you know, we, we really want to, to push out X on this particular product or service that, you know, is ready for market, then that becomes really a very traditional campaign conversation from a marketing sense. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. One thing that has struck me about doing this podcast is I started it thinking I would talk a lot about marketing, and it turns out I've talked a lot about data. It's kind of like going to a movie and thinking you're going to be laughing (laughs) for two hours and you end up leaving in tears. And I want to talk about the two big networks that we currently have, Google and Facebook, and we think of them as being separate and and they're kind of monoliths by themselves. But do you think there might come a day when those networks are even joined for the purposes of serving up ads with shared intelligence? Or is that already happening because of the way agencies deal with them? So funny that you talk about, you know, this is becoming something a little bit more about data than it is about marketing. And uh, the answer to that is from what we've been able to see is yes, we've already started to see some of that happening, right? So everyone knows that Google has their Google network, which is comprised of thousands upon thousands of different websites, different interests, yeah. you know, uh, categories, et cetera. Facebook has this thing called the audience network and audience network is really doing placements on those same types of websites that are out there. And how we've seen this has been in the data where we see the placement, right? So after the campaign runs and as it's running, we can do dips and check-ins to see where exactly are our display banners, where are they showing up, right? And what are we seeing? And we've started to see overlap. So, you know, I I think the uh, the quick answer there is is yes, and we're probably going to see some more of that. I think one of the things that, you know, these two platforms have to present at some point is a checks and balances that says, look, if you're going to uh, do content placement on our network, if you're running a campaign with the other provider, we want to make sure that you're not going to basically, in essence, duplicate your client's investment into the same place, in in essence, paying twice to be in the same place, Yeah. right? That's something that I think the industry is going to have to move to as it continues to expand. I think this is pretty early on. You know, we've seen some different landing sites for both, but we're starting to also see some common ground, and and that's where that's going to become problematic. And to say nothing of the privacy issues, that the idea of of joining together these two massive networks into essentially one, that seems like the ingredient you need to get a congressional hearing. Well, yeah, as as you were saying that, I was thinking, well, I'm sure the EU's already queued up. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. The, I mean, you know, the, they're so far ahead of the U.S. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that this is something that is is uh, definitely going to become an issue over time. Given how long it's taken to get to where we are with all of these different congressional hearings right now and all of this interest into what exactly is Facebook doing, what exactly is Google doing, what are those folks doing, it uh, is not going to surprise that probably two years from now we'll start to see something on this, You know, hopefully sooner, but uh, they move rather slowly. You know, all all the the advancement happening in SEO and SEM and with Google and Facebook's networks and so forth, 
when I kind of step back from this, I think, well, we're 20 plus years into this digital journey, and yet people still don't seem to have a clue how it works. And and I just wonder why do B2B and B2C companies, to a certain extent, still seem woefully unprepared for what it takes to succeed in the digital economy? Well, you know, the, the Part of what we've seen is is that you have larger agencies that may be already servicing their clients and where maybe they didn't necessarily cut their teeth on digital as, as a first service. Maybe they're more of a traditional ad agency. You know, they, they layer in, you know, social and digital and, and all of these things. And, you know, frankly, they're just not very good at it. Yeah. And we've seen examples of this over and over again. I mean, for, for us, right, I mean, we were born in 2014 as a digital agency. You know, we've done some things at our customers' requests, uh, but we've been very transparent about, you know, what we're really good at, what we really focus in, and what we can do. We would never represent ourselves as uh, an agency that's going to go and give you a highly produced television commercial, right? right. That, that's not our bullywick. That's not what we do. So, uh, you know, that's one piece of it. And I understand the business of large agencies and, and what they, they can't afford to lose and, 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 you know, why they do what they do, you know, get that. The other part of your question, frankly, really gets us outside of SEO and SEM and really just talks about how folks are not prepared to be on digital platforms from a marketing perspective because, they're still holding on to the fact that they can produce a handful of commercials, you know, in a couple of spots or, you know, some, some different content and have that run for a 12 month cycle, right. Or a six month cycle. And the reality with digital is, is that there's a lot of content that you need. The good news is that whenever we take on, you know, new clients, the first thing that we really do is we look at the content that they have available and we basically repackage where we can and however we can to produce something that's seamless into, you know, 15 second bites, right? right 15 or right. 30 second bites, really second three to seven, your most critical time frame. But that again goes to just folks operating with traditional agencies and those folks not making the switch or really understanding what goes into really being a digital agency and what is really required for content to keep fresh eyes. And, that, and that's what it's really about, right? It's, you know, you, you can always rework a piece of content that's the same. You can use it two months later, fresh copy, fresh, you know, fresh yeah, messaging, yeah. except that's relevant, right? But you have to have a, a, a pretty significant library of content ready to go. And that goes across industries. That's not just for complex products. That goes across industries, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Uh, listen, uh, the way we have the conversation with a B2B customer is dramatically different than what we uh, accomplish with B2C customers because mm -hmm. they have some very different needs, right? Some similarity, but very different needs in, in how they need to get to their consumers. The first thing that we talk about is, is not every platform is for you. Just because it's there, it doesn't mean that you should be there, right? right. Uh, one of the great things that we've seen here in the last two months especially is LinkedIn has finally woken up. <laughs> LinkedIn has been so late to the party around their targeting capabilities inside of their ads platform, right? I mean, and this is if you're just really relying on what the platform has available for targeting tools and, and whatnot. But LinkedIn has finally stepped up. They've started to also provide some newer capabilities 
that we think are absolutely critical to the business. Mm -hmm. Still say this though, still believe that more important than your actual business page on LinkedIn, which is important, you know, treat that with care, more important are the people that work for you, are the folks that have a voice and a following and a presence on LinkedIn. And we strongly recommend a tight coordination between what they do and what is represented on the business page and how that actually pushes, you know, sales revenue, brand awareness forward, whatever the goals happen to be, right? It is interesting to see the disconnect often between the corporate messaging on a corporate page and the way in which an employee describes what they do, what the company does, you know, even the name of the company can vary slightly. That's a nightmare for a marketer. That is, (laughs) that's a double-edged sword and that's a really tricky one. Sometimes organizations have it absolutely right. And sometimes the folks who have worked for the organization and who really understand a product or a service because they've been living it and selling it and positioning it for so long. Sure. They actually, but all of this comes back to what is the operational construct between sales and marketing internally? Yeah. What's the communication, right? Are they both listening to each other? And so that alone is its own podcast. <laughs> That's <laughs> an incredibly complicated issue. Well, let's but, get that on the calendar soon. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. But it, but it all comes back to you really need to have an ongoing active dialogue and listening between the sales and marketing organization. Absolutely. Especially on the B2B side. Yeah. That's a great point. So at the end of every interview I do, I ask my guests about a trend they're following. And I know that you are all over voice. We've talked about this on numerous occasions. Can you tell me where you think that's all heading? Yeah, absolutely. So voice is here. What's really pushed voice and especially around to get back to you know why folks even think about seo organic local sem especially all of these things the reason why voice is so important is because the smart home market has really accelerated the purchasing of technologies like Alexa, Google Home, and although I hate to say Siri, Siri, because that's part of what Siri can also effectuate and do. But that market alone has really pushed those devices to the home. And I see it now. I I see it when, you know, I'm at home, obviously. I see when I visit friends and they talk to devices and they ask the devices to do things well part of what they're asking devices to do is to also say you know alexa you know what time is such and such open until right and if that's not something that's done right and nailed that's an issue this is where frankly you know, for any website developer, for any organization today that has an active website, if you're not referencing schema.org, you are making a huge mistake, right? All of the industry giants. Tell us what that is for people like me who have no clue what you just said. So schema.org basically has like over 10 million, I'm reading this right off the page, are over 10 million sites use schema.org to mark up their web pages and email messages, right? So Google, Microsoft, Pinterest, uh, several others, 
are all part of this library and what it really is about. And this is what we do. And we, when our customers buy into our voice package for the smart search service that we provide, we actually use schema.org to be able to optimize their pages for voice-based searches. So Got it. if so, I, and I'm not a super technical guy, which is why I had to have the site up here to reference it and read it back to you. But from that perspective, I know that my team, that's exactly what we do. And we get those kinds of engagements is work with the site and it matters. So if, if you're not doing it today, voice is here, it's not coming. Uh, and it's only growing, yeah. absolutely make sure to reference schema.org. Uh, I will make sure to put that in the show notes. So we'll have that link on the site and you can follow along at home. Yeah, perfect. Well, Victor, this has been great. Thanks for joining me. I think there's lots more we could chat about on this subject, but we'll have to save that for next time. I'll have you back, definitely. That's great, Mark. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on today. All right, next time, Rob Whedon of Deal Signal and Jeremy Middleton of Pramata are together to chat about data intent and marketing. So stay with us. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly. T. Jordan of A-Class Productions wrote the theme music. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2019. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. You stay home for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't. It drifts through cracks in walls, air vents, and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk, even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.